This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers, on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions of software engineering topics at least once a month. SE Radio is brought to you by IEEE Software Magazine, online at computer.org slash software. So I'm sitting here with uh, Martin Lippert at Trex Conference, and uh, we want to talk about a project called Flux. So, um, Martin, welcome to the show, and uh, say a few words about yourself. Hey, uh, welcome. My name is Martin Lippert. I work for Pivotal. That's a company behind Spring, and Groovy, Grails, RabbitMQ, Redis, uh, Cloud Foundry, and a few other uh, awesome projects, I think. And uh, I'm working on the Spring Tool Suite, so I'm kind of the, one of the tooling guys inside, inside Pivotal. Uh, and in our team, we do all these uh, kind of uh, Eclipse integrations for Project XYZ, like Spring integration for Eclipse and Gradle integration and Groovy integration and things like that. Uh, and I'm also thinking about this kind of uh, next generation tooling and where should the developer tooling, where should that be in, in a few years from now? Okay, sounds quite interesting. So, um, and we want to talk about this project called Flux. So can you t say a few words about that project, what the goals are, why you decided to do it, who's behind it, and so on? Yeah, sure. Um, project Flux is a new project at Eclipse. So it's an Eclipse project just being created a few weeks ago. Um, and the idea behind Project Flux is um, it tries to solve two different problems at the same time. And one problem is we are thinking about moving developer tooling into the cloud, so a little bit away from the traditional desktop IDE into something that's browser-based, cloud-based. And we do not know exactly at the moment how this developer tooling will look like in the future. Um, the feeling that we have is um, it will not exactly be the desktop IDE just running inside a browser window. That doesn't make much sense, I think, um, even though you might see some of those approaches in cloud-based IDEs at the moment that are emerging. Um, but I think it's not the exact right idea for designing and implementing developer tooling for the cloud. And with Project Flux, we are trying to give an answer to that in combination with how should this cloud-based developer tooling be implemented. Uh, so that's the, the, the first thing we are trying to solve. And the second thing is, um, that if you take a look at the existing cloud-based developer tooling, you usually have the situation that you, you have to decide whether you would like to continue to use your existing desktop IDEs and the desktop tools, or you jump over the wall and you use tools that are running inside the cloud. And every, in that case, everything is inside the cloud. Your files are inside the cloud, other tools are inside the cloud. The only window to access all that stuff is a browser window, usually. So there's something missing in between because typically these cloud-based IDEs, they are not yet as feature-rich as existing desktop IDEs. They maybe do not support the languages you would like to use. And you would have to throw away all your local files and all your local tools, right? So you would, you would maybe miss your command line tool and things like that. Um, and I think this either-or decision is not the right way to approach this, this problem. And therefore, Project Flux is uh, building a bridge, a bridge between the desktop IDE and cloud-based developer tooling so that we have um, a very smooth migration path from today's desktop IDEs doing Java development 
towards cloud-based IDEs or cloud-based developer tooling that might also already support Java to a certain degree or more in the future or support different languages, but you can you can decide every day what tool to use and you can switch between both worlds in a very seamless way so that um, you can work with, at, in the end, with both tools on the same project at the same time if you want and you do not have to decide which way to go, right? And then you leave everything behind. Kind of the, let's say, the, the vision behind it is maybe that uh, you just start or you continue to use it as a YDE, and then you start using a little bit of the cloud-based tooling in addition to that, a little bit more over time, and maybe one day you wake up and think, oh, wow, I haven't started my desktop YDE whole week. Uh, that must be, must be a good sign, maybe, that I can use the cloud-based tooling only, maybe. Or maybe we do not end up there. Maybe we, we stop somewhere in between and say, oh, for certain tasks, it maybe still makes sense to use a desktop IDE and desktop tooling, and you should be able to continue to do that uh, in addition to cloud-based tooling. And Flux is building this bridge between that it kind of, it, it merges those two worlds together into one view, into one, one kind of system, um, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make a huge difference if you use cloud-based tooling or the desktop IDE for your projects. It becomes kind of the same, and you can, can move forth and back and migrate very smoothly between those two worlds. And those are the two, I think, the two challenges we're trying to solve with uh, Project Flux. And we started that project a while ago inside Pivotal when we thought about what should come, what should come next after desktop IDEs, where should we go, we did a, a bunch of uh, prototypes and uh, tried out different things. So we worked on this project called Scripted, where we did a JavaScript editor for a browser. Um, and there are other projects in that area, like Eclipse Orion and other things. And we, we always thought that, hmm, it's pointing towards the right direction, but it's not really solving the exact right problem. And with Flux, we have now the, the, the feeling and the first feedback that we got is, oh, this is exactly pointing in, into the right direction and, and doing the exact right thing. Um, so that's, uh, that's a, I think, a brief overview about what Flux is and what Flux is about. Okay, so um, as you said, it's it's a bridge between my desktop ID and cloud-based tooling. So what do you imagine could be the first cloud tool that I would use? I mean, would I do my compile step in the cloud or would I somehow run the debug in the cloud or what, what do you imagine would that look like? Where are the components that I integrate and um, how does that work? Yeah, the, the idea and the prototype that we implemented for Project Flux at the moment is that you first you continue to use your desktop IDE as it is, right? Uh, there's no need to change anything. Um, in addition to that, you can connect your project to the cloud. And this is something like, let's say, like Dropbox for code. So everything stays locally on your hard drive. It's, it's all on your machine. Um, but in addition to that, it's kind of mirrored and synced to the cloud um, so that you can, in addition to work with your desktop IDE on your local files, you can also open up a web browser and uh, edit your code and browse your code. And that, I think, is, is kind of the first step, right? So you can, you can just open a web browser from anywhere in the world uh, and look at your code and, and edit your code. And in addition to that, um, enhancing this code editor that's running inside the browser window uh, will be, I think, the next step. And we, we, we already did, did a few things towards this kind of more advanced code editing to support advanced languages like Java, so compiled languages. 
not these kind of scripty languages where you usually don't have much tooling. Um, so that you are able to edit your code in kind of the same way as in your desktop IDE. So while you're typing, you're getting errors and warnings, you get content assist all the time and, and real Java content assist, for example. Um, and you can navigate, you can do refactorings, you can, you can jump to different files, you can jump to the declaration. And all of those nice features that you really like, even, even, even quick fixes for, oh, there's an error, I, I get quick fixes. Um, and getting that all that in, in, in a real-time, in a real-time fashion, so that it really feels like an awesome code editor that's running inside the browser window that, that I'm not aware of that does exist at the moment for these kind of compiled languages for a browser-based environment. And I think those, oh, those, um, those will be the first steps. And the next steps will, of course, be supporting more languages, and, and doing more sophisticated stuff that is maybe very interesting to do in the cloud, like uh, executing unit tests all the time maybe, or um, working on a piece of code uh, collaboratively, or um, connecting your things to, to a platform as a service environment where you can just deploy your stuff all the time from the cloud, and things like that. There are a lot of ideas, um, and I, I, can, I can chat about one or a few of those ideas in more detail later. Um, but I think those are the first steps, I think, that we, we were trying to do so that you can continue using your desktop IDE, you start working on your code, browsing your, your, your projects in, in, the, in the web editor, and then adding more and more services to these webby world so that it will be kind of, in the end, you can basically, you should be able to do everything from the, from the browser-based editor and from the browser-based environment. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's also um, a good idea to integrate those continuous integration platforms that you have and, and add them to that tooling. Is that something that you're aiming for? Um, there are quite a few commercial cust uh, commercial offerings that, that provide exactly that. And then you would end up with uh, using that commercial uh, offering inside the cloud somewhere instead of um, provisioning your own uh, CI server at that point. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The whole project Flux is, is based on an architecture that is very open and that people can, can connect to that with their own components so they can, they can build their own bits and pieces and they can connect their own systems to this, to this Flux environment. I can, I can talk about the technical details later, but um, it's, it's perfectly built for this setting that uh, I'm connecting my project I'm working on my code in the browser window, and someone else says, "Oh, I provide you with an additional service for your project. Like if you if you hit this button, it's automatically being pushed into the CI system, or it's automatically built, or it's automatically deployed to a, to a platform as a service thing, um, and then not everything is, is being rebuilt for for the cloud because there are already existing existing tools like that, or you're connecting your projects to Git repositories and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, possible and something we, we're trying to build this kind of, it's, an it's more or less an infrastructure for connecting the different bits and pieces together in a cloud-based environment. Okay, so one of the questions, uh, if you talk about cloud, it's usually also that there are questions around data privacy. So what do you think about that? I mean, is that an issue? Because obviously you're sharing the source code with uh, certain services that are out there run and that are run by different people. So what about that? Yeah, the idea behind Flux is um, and I, I already mentioned something like it's a little bit like Dropbox for code. Um, it's it's first it's a, let's say it's a single user system, 
Um, so it is. it does not try to replace version control systems or whatever. So when I connect my project to Flux, it's my project and I can access my project and no one else. Even other people from my team, other members, um, they're not able to access my stuff, right? If, they, if they're working on the same project, they can connect their project as well, which is maybe the same, but they can connect their project as well and they have their space. I have my space in, inside Flux or inside this cloud environment. Um, and if I, um, if I would like to use certain services that in that case need access to my stuff that I uh, synced with, uh, with Flux, um, I could imagine that um, it's not yet yet implemented, but the ideas and the design is built in that way, that uh, you, you have to allow and enable those services to say, okay, you service XYZ, you can now access my stuff. So you enable those services yourself instead of they are kind of secretly, magically behind the scenes grabbing your stuff from somewhere in the cloud. Um, I think some of that, um, or bits and pieces of that, will be integrated and implemented in these basic fun fundamental infrastructure that we built for Flux. Um, because these um, data syncing mechanism for you can sync your files like Dropbox for Code, um, that's a fundamental part of Flux. Um, and it's not only, interestingly, it's not only syncing files, and when you press save, the save is being synced and the change is being synced, it's also syncing changes while you are typing. So you can, you can sync your stuff on these kind of save and, and store and commit level, but it's also syncing while you are typing. So while you're typing inside your IDE, everything is being synced with the cloud immediately in real time. The same happens for the browser editor. So in that case, you could even imagine saying, oh, I have my desktop ID, my Eclipse ID open. I, I type in my, in my code, uh, someone interrupts you or power goes down or whatever, uh, you're offline. And if you switch to another machine, you open up the web browser, you will see exactly the same state uh, without saving the file first in your desktop ID. You will see exactly the same state in, in the, in the web-based editor. Um, and that's kind of a, 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 an additional feature or an additional syncing level inside Flux. And that's also being used by these kind of the, the services that are running that will provide you with these language tooling. Yeah, sounds really interesting. So um, talking about the architecture, what, what is it? How is that system built up? What are the, some, some um, the core foundations, the technology foundations and so on of that system? Yeah, the, the core idea behind that is um, the backbone of everything is a messaging system. Uh, so everything is being built on top of asynchronous messages. There is no REST API inside the whole system. There are no HTTP calls that are being made. Um, there are services, but those services, they do not provide a RESTful API or something like that. Um, so there, basically, the main thing is there's these kind of, uh, you can connect components to this messaging system and you can send messages around. And that is what the Eclipse IDE, for example, or our plugin for the Eclipse IDE, or for any IDE, doesn't, it's not Eclipse specific, really. Uh, so not specific for the Eclipse IDE, you can also imagine doing the same stuff for IntelliJ or whatever. Um, is connecting to this messaging system and is sending messages forth and back. And that's basically it, right? That, that's, that's everything. And there is another component running in the cloud that is also connecting those messages and listening to messages, sending messages forth and back. And the syncing mechanism that I described, these kind of Dropbox for code thing and real-time edit syncing, 
that's built on top of those messages. So while you're typing in your IDE, they are sending messages forth and back. And while you're typing inside the browser window, sending messages forth and back. When you press save, there's a message being sent forth and back. And with forth and back, I mean, it's, there's a message being sent to all the participants in, in let's say, in MySpace, right? It, of course, not sent to everybody in the world, but um, to all the components that are connected to my, to my files, basically. And on top of this, let's say, file or data syncing mechanism on these while typing level or safe level, um, there can other components in, in running in the cloud that can also connect to this messaging system and syncing the data locally to their environment. Uh, and this is what, what happens um, for implementing a language tooling. So the, the browser-based editor, in this case, doesn't know anything about Java, really. It m maybe it knows about syntax highlighting, but nothing else. It does not even, maybe doesn't even really know what Java is or how Java works or how consensus works for Java or how error reporting works. Instead, there is a service, this tiny little service, you can even maybe call it microservice, running inside the cloud that is connecting to this message bus and the service is, uh, is keeping track of those changes as well. So while you're typing, it, it mirrors those changes locally to its service environment and uh, can do something with these files and with these changes. So in, in the case of, for example, Java, there's a, a Java reconciling service. And this reconciling service keeps track of those changes, does reconciling, and sends back the errors and warnings that the service produced, sends those errors and warnings back to the messaging system. So those let's say the results of the service are being sent back to everybody. And the code editor in, in the browser just consumes those messages and say, oh, there's, a, there's an error and warning report for this file that I have open. Oh, I can show that. Um, and this creates a very loosely coupled environment because every service can now decide on its own what it would like to do. The Java service can say, oh, I can do reconciling for Java or I can do um, content assist for Java, for example, because the, the browser-based editor sends out, oh, I need content assist, but I have no idea how to do content assist for this file. There's a service say, oh, I can do content assist. And then it, it, it sends back a message about content assist. And uh, this is, I think, very, very interesting. Okay, this uh, sounds really interesting. It's sort of, sounds to me, sort of like uh, a component model. Um, and obviously the question is whether this will at one point replace the Eclipse plugin mechanism as it exists today. Um, that's an interesting question because I think the whole, the whole idea behind this asynchronous messaging and the way those services are being implemented in Flux is, is kind of completely different from the uh, plugin mechanism for the Eclipse IDE or the plugin mechanism that you uh, might be familiar with for other IDEs or other tools. Um, this is the case because in the, in, the, in the Eclipse world, in the Eclipse plugin world, you have the Eclipse platform implementation and all the plugins and they provide some kind of API and some kind of interfaces and whatever. Um, and you implement a plugin by calling those interfaces or implementing interfaces, calling the existing platform API. So you have more or less, you have to implement your stuff with Java. And some, in some cases, it's, it's a little bit strange, right? If you, if you do C++ tooling for Eclipse, you implement C++ tooling in Java, right? You write C++ tooling in Java. Or if you would like to support JavaScript, you write your language tooling for JavaScript in Java. And that's... Sometimes it's a little bit strange, right? 
Uh, in Flux, it's completely different because there is no platform API. There is no API to call, uh, not even a RESTful API, as I already said. Um, and instead, those services that are participating in the syncing mechanism, the only, the only thing they need to know about the environment is they are connecting to these message system, so they are getting messages, right? And they can send out messages. And of course, the format of, this me of those messages, that's kind of defined and needs to be defined. So this is some kind of a protocol or some kind of an API contract, but it's not exactly calling one thing, right? It's uh, you understand and interpret those messages. Um, and therefore, each service can decide on its own how it would like to be implemented. So, as I mentioned before, there's a, a Java reconciling service, for example, that does these errors and warnings for Java or a Java content service. So this specific tiny little service can say, okay, um, I'm implemented in Java, and I'm running on OSGI, I'm, and I'm reusing the Eclipse Java compiler, for example, to do the job. Right? You do not have to re-implement everything. You can reuse the existing parts that are there for this tiny little service. Right? For a different service, you can, you can go a totally different, different way. For example, if you would like to do the same for JavaScript, so there's a file being edited and there are messages coming around, oh, uh, someone is editing a JavaScript file, and the Java service would, of course, say, I have no idea about that file, so I just ignore those messages. But the other microservice about JavaScript can say, oh, I can give you errors and warnings for JavaScript. And I'm implemented in JavaScript myself. So I'm running on, for example, I'm running a Node.js, uh, inside the cloud, and I'm reusing JS Lint or another JavaScript library doing these errors and warnings for JavaScript. And uh, that's, uh, I think, that, that visualizes these highly decoupling among those services, and that each service can decide on its own what to do with those messages, what messages to send back, how to react to certain messages, what files it would like to sync. So not every service needs to sync every files, right? They're going to be sort of say, oh, I'm just interested in these Java files and I'm interested in binary files or whatever. And another service could decide, could make a totally different decision about that. Um, you, can, you can choose your own, your, the language and the environment you would like to use. And you can even maybe host the service in a totally different data center if you want, because the only thing you need is this connection uh, with a message bus. So for example, we talked uh, before about connecting something like a CI system, for example, to Flux. Um, so there, there could be a service listening to those messages and say, oh, whenever you press save, I trigger a CI build. And the service is not running inside the same, let's say, data center or cloud environment as maybe the, the syncing mechanism or the, the code editor, um, but it's running inside the data center of the company who is providing the CI build system, right? And it's just connecting to Flux so that they can take care about hosting and scaling or whatever doing with this service, basically on their own and decide how to implement that. Um, and this is, I think, also very interesting for supporting all these different languages because you can implement a service that's able to do Java tooling, another one can do JavaScript, a third one can do Scala, a fourth one can do whatever. Or you can even say, oh, I have a super service that's able to do uh, contents for these 10 different languages, if, if you have that, 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 that piece. Um, and you can especially reuse existing parts. That's, I think, very important because I, uh, I really would like to see awesome Java language tooling in the cloud. 
but I definitely do not want to re-implement a Java compiler or the whole Eclipse Java tooling in JavaScript again because I would like to run that inside a browser window, right? That's, that's, that, that will, maybe that could work, but it's not something I would like to do. Instead, I'm employing this, this cloud service is listening to those messages, implementing the functionality, and reusing existing parts, for example, in this case of Eclipse, and running parts of the Eclipse Java tooling in a headless way uh, inside a cloud, uh, inside a cloud environment. And I think that's a very, um, very interesting outcome of this basic fundamental architecture and idea behind Flux, because it's it's great, a completely highly decoupled environment, and therefore it also kind of replaces these these plugin architecture of Eclipse. Maybe it's um, the the, the plugins for Flux are more these cloud services that are running and connecting to the messaging system, and that's it, right? Maybe that's the kind of the, the if you would call it, I would never call it plugin mechanism, but it's, it's the mechanism for collaboration among services and, and different people adding different functionality. Yeah, that sounds really, really interesting, um, and it's, it's a very good vision, I think, for the future of IDEs. So what state is that project in right now? I mean, what can I actually do with it? Who is working on it? And uh, are there some bits and pieces that I can already touch? The project is being created at Eclipse, and at the moment we are contributing the, the initial code for that. And the initial code, which is at the moment available from a different repository at GitHub, uh, but it's already open source, um, that's a prototype. And the prototype um, or the, the, the purpose of the prototype was to do some kind of a proof of concept. So the prototype is able to sync projects with the cloud from your existing desktop Eclipse IDE, um, doing live edit changes, um, and is doing a little bit of, uh, of Java language support for errors and warnings, does content assist, does navigation and rename and file. Um, those are the, 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 the basic features that we implemented for the prototype to do some kind of proof of concept. It's nothing you can download at the moment and reuse in production because it's, it's just a prototype. Um, so the next steps will be to build something, let's say something real out of this prototype code. Um, so we will, I think we will definitely maybe re-implement parts of the, of the underlying infrastructure to make it more reliable, more robust, more scalable because the prototype is just built on, on WebSockets and JSON messages being sent around, so, and, and, and Socket.io on Node.js. So maybe that's not, I, I don't know, maybe it is uh, the, the choice that we will, we, will, we will also make in the future, but maybe we also use different things like RabbitMQ and using MQTT or whatever. So there are certain questions still open. Um, so we, we need to build, the, let's say, the real thing next. Um, therefore, it's not, uh, you, you, can, you can use the existing prototype, you can play around with it if you want. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit rough to set up, but, um, but you, can, you, can, you can get it to work. Um, you can use that and you can, you can play around with it to get a feeling about what does it mean to build these microservices for these IDE kind of environment. Um, and there's even one guy who already started doing that, Holger Schill from Etemis. He, he took the prototype code and say, oh, I would like to support Xtext and Xtent as a language. So let's, let's see what's necessary to do that. And he implemented a service that is doing exactly that, doing consensus and reconciling for, for Xtext, which I think is, is, is awesome. It's great and, and, and shows that um, and kind of proves that a little bit that it is indeed 
as open as we would like it to be and as powerful as I uh, envision it to be. So uh, besides you who is working on this, um, what is the team like? So we as a tooling team at Pivotal, we are working on that. Um, so there are a bunch of bunch of guys at Pivotal um, working on that in addition to the work we're doing um, for the Spring Tool Suite and for the existing Eclipse-based um, IDEs. Um, and there are uh, quite a number of, com of initial committers from IBM. Um, I think most of them are working on Eclipse Orion at the moment because they are very, very interested in connecting Orion to this architecture to enable Orion to do language tooling or to implement language tooling for Orion that is for Java or for more complicated languages. And they are also very convinced and very interested in this Flux architecture. And so they are also working on Flux, building this infrastructure and building Java language tooling, maybe even JavaScript language tooling as this kind of initial idea to do this kind of um, show people how to do language tooling based on Flux so that other people can jump in. And there may even other companies already said, oh, we are interested, like Red Hat is interested and Etimis is interested. And a few other people say, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we are very interested in this project. We would like to, to contribute and, and become committers maybe in the future. Um, so, um, and many other people said, oh, yeah, this is really interesting. So I think it's, um, there will be a lot of people joining and I, we, we are very open. So if you're interested in, in, in joining the project and, and would like to contribute, feel free to send us an email, join discussions on the mailing list. Uh, we, are, we are very, very open to new committers and contributors. Very happy to collaborate. Yeah, sounds great. Um, so you already mentioned Eclipse Orion. Can you talk a little bit about that project and how it relates to uh, to Flux? Yeah, the Eclipse Orion project, um, their goal is to do some kind of browser-based uh, tooling platform. Um, and they very much, f at least from my point of view, they very much focus on the client side of these cloud-based IDEs. So what, what they did is they implemented... Um, it's more or less a full-featured cloud IDE already, and maybe not providing 5 million features, but a good set of features, focusing on JavaScript tooling and CSS and HTML, so the, for these kind of webby world. Um, and most of the stuff that they've implemented is based on running every site, everything inside the browser window in JavaScript. So they implemented the JavaScript framework and JavaScript libraries and JavaScript components for doing this code editing. They have an awesome code editor that's running inside a browser window. It's, it's even faster than the Eclipse code editor running on your desktop IDE. It's, it's really amazing what's possible in the in the browser today. Um, and those components are more, they're running inside the browser window and implementing JavaScript. Um, and this is, to me, feels like uh, an awesome combination that could come out of these combination of doing the Orion site for, or doing the Orion, using the Orion components and the Orion IDE for the, the client side and connecting that with Flux to bridge Orion to existing desktop IDEs. Because at the moment, Orion, as I said before at the beginning, is also this kind of completely disconnected environment that's purely running inside the cloud. So uh, the Flux could provide an awesome way to connect Orion to existing desktop IDEs with the syncing mechanism. And in addition to that, Flux could also be used to do more advanced language tooling for Orion that you would not like to do. Like, uh, you would not like to re-implement Java language tooling in JavaScript for Orion and so on. So Flux could be used to, to 
implement exactly that. So I think it's a, it could be an awesome combination using Orion connected to Flux um, and maybe even other other backends and, and, and other UIs as well. So. Okay. Um, yeah, sounds like, like there's a lot of synergy to be achieved there. Um, so, I mean, there is quite a huge um, community around Eclipse. So have you already presented that uh, project to, to the Eclipse community? What are the responses? How is that taken up by, by the Eclipse projects? Are there any other collaborations to other projects besides Orion? Um, we haven't formally set up other collaborations to other projects yet. Uh, I think the, the interest from Itemis and the Xtex guys is already showing that they are interested in that. Uh, and I very much hope to collaborate deeply with them in the future. Um, we, we presented the project at EclipseCon uh, this year. Uh, and the feedback was really awesome. So people really liked it. I was uh, very happy to hear that. And uh, we were... Um, we were joining Mike Milinkovic for his keynote at EclipseCon, so he we, we had a kind of a five-minute guest appearance in the keynote, uh, showing a demo of Flux and the reaction from the press and from other communities and from other people inside the Eclipse community was totally positive, and they they all said, "Oh, this is awesome!" So uh, I uh, I hope to fulfill all the expectations, of course, <laughs> with the project. And um, I think that a lot of a lot of other people will, will show up and say, "Hey, this is interesting. Can we can we join?" And I would be very very happy about that. Okay, so you already got your five minutes of fame, it seems. <laughs> um, so um, if you look if if I look at the architecture and and how you describe the architecture, it sounds a lot like um, microservices that is, microservices that are becoming quite fashionable these days. Um, and uh, this concept seems to be seems to originate from e-commerce websites where you would uh, cut down your system to specific p uh, parts and um, have them integrated in your in your e-commerce website. What I find interesting is that you're applying these principles to a completely different um, environment with IDEs. So um, how is this different? What what does that mean? Um, and why does it really make sense in this environment as well? Because, I mean, obviously IDEs are highly interactive tools and it's somewhat different from um, an e-commerce website where, you know, where basically all the systems are in one data center usually and there is a lot less latency and so on. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I think that, first of all... Um, the, the, the fundamental idea behind microservices is about cutting down your existing e-commerce system or your existing enterprise system into small bits and pieces and uh, and make that available as individual pieces of functionality. That totally makes sense. And I think we are kind of trying to, to do the same with the existing IDEs, right? We are, we are trying to, we are building these microservices and we are trying to reuse existing parts that already exist. And I think it doesn't make sense to throw everything away that we have at the moment in, in desktop IDEs because they have, I don't know, 20 years of experience for doing awesome la Java language tooling or language tooling for other languages. Um, so it, it definitely makes sense to reuse that. Um, so therefore, I, I totally follow the same line with, with these microservices for, for Flux, right? Cutting down existing desktop IDEs into small microservices, um, maybe implementing new microservices, using different libraries, combining that with, with other existing libraries, uh, and reusing a lot of code instead of re-implementing everything. 
And to me, that makes total sense. And decoupling those bits and pieces also makes makes a lot of sense because, uh, as usual in software engineering, decoupling is is usually a good idea, right? Um, what I think there there is still a difference a difference between these these microservices that that are discussed at the moment so famously, um, because usually people associate with a, a microservice this this some kind of an API that you call from outside, right? So there's a service that service provides a certain functionality, a certain feature, provides you with a specific API, maybe in, in as a RESTful API or, or some other way. And then you call that, you know there's the service, you call it from the outside because you know it's there. Um, with Flux, we, 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 we do it differently because we're doing it with these asynchronous messages. Um, so it's more, a service is more opting into the system and say, oh, I'm interested in this. I can, I can give something back. I can consume messages and I can send messages back as a result. Um, so there is no formal API contract between, the, for example, the code editor is not calling the Java service to say, hey, do something with this file. It's the Java service saying, I can do something for this file, sending back messages. And the editor says, I display those messages. The editor doesn't care about what service is providing these error messages, for example. Um, and I think this is a, a, an interesting difference because it allows us to um, decouple the system even more, which I think is, is very important in this case because in the for, for IDEs and language tooling, you usually would like to be very open for different languages and different frameworks and you would like to support five million different bits and pieces and you would like to allow people to add more language support for different languages in the future without changing all the other parts, right? You would not like to change the editor just because someone would like to support Erlang or whatever for the system, right? Um, and with Flux, you can just basically implement the Erlang microservice, uh, maybe even in Erlang, who knows, um, connecting the system and then sending, sending back those messages. Um, I think that's a kind of a difference to what's usually being associated with microservices at the moment. But the fundamental idea about a microservice is, I think, very much the same. And to me, that that, that, that totally makes sense for, for, for an IDE world. Yeah, and um, let me just add that, interestingly enough, even though uh, REST is somewhat famous, um, in particular for microservices probably, it's really um, the case that there are quite a few other uh, applications that also use this uh, message-oriented approach as well. However, what I'm wondering is, I mean, what you're basically saying is it makes a lot of sense to have asynchronous message-based communication between parts that uh, ultimately together form an IDE. But if you look at um, the Eclipse plugin mechanism, I mean, it's obviously based on interfaces and um, the USGI concept, uh, including bundles and so on. So. Um, what do you think? I mean, has this plugin concept somehow failed, or was it the wrong approach? Or why? It, it's to me uh, coming from an Eclipse perspective, you should really have taken that approach to the cloud, shouldn't you? Because that's what Eclipse ultimately does. So there must be some reason for you to shift uh, to this different approach. Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think. Um, I think the Eclipse plugin mechanism and the OSGI model underneath it, it's a totally awesome mechanism. And um, I think it was it was an, a, a huge step forward at the time it was invented for Eclipse, 
was a huge step forward because if you compare that to the IDEs that, that we had before the Eclipse, the Eclipse IDE, they were these huge monolithic things that are built for one one language. And if you would like to add tooling like, oh, I would like to support a JSP file, it would basically blow up the whole system because it could not really be implemented in, in, in that environment before Eclipse. So I think the Eclipse plugin mechanism was a huge step forward. And, and as you see from, from all the millions of plugins that are available, it was a huge success. And I, I, I still believe that's that's great, right? It also creates a set of problems, and and you you there there are certain challenges involved, like creating a, a unique uh, UI experience and, and a good integration of the UI without screwing up context menus, saying oh I have five million plugins installed, and then I have five million entries in, in the menu, and you need to scroll down or things like that. Um, but I think that's that's not that's not an issue with the mechanism itself, right? It's 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 an issue with uh, how do people use that, and how do people take care of the overall experience instead of just focusing on the one plugin that they are building? Um, for Flux, we we try to do things differently, not because we 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 were thinking oh the old thing uh, doesn't work, but because we thought let's try to to attack this issue, this problem, this challenge from a totally different point of view and explore something totally different to think about new ways to build build stuff um, and, and new ways to to do this and especially in this cloudy environment um, you have a lot of things are different right you have maybe a network in between you have uh, you have components running inside a cloudy environment you would like to scale up cloudy components um, you have you do not have these there's one system and one user relationship. So you have the, the cloud service maybe is, is, should be able to serve thousands or hundreds of thousands of users at the same time. Um, and I think that maybe that triggers our thought and, and made us think about, should we try to do things differently? And that's why we, we try to do things in, in, as a first step completely different, in a completely different way to explore what could come out of that? And that's why we, we, we chose this, this messaging system because we thought, oh yeah, this messaging might make sense in, in the co communication between browsers and, and cloudy services. Um, let's try to explore that and try to go the extreme way to find out does it really work or is it just a crazy idea? And to me, it feels like this could really work in, in an awesome way. Um, I think that's, that's the reason it's not really not not saying anything against the Eclipse plugin mechanism or whatever. I think it's it's still an awesome 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 idea for the for the purpose it was built for. Okay, excellent. Uh, the other question that comes to mind is, um, if I look at IDEs, I mean it's a highly interactive environment, and um, what you've described is a rather distributed system. So you would even um, have some service somewhere uh, giving uh, returning some kind of error messages and that might run uh, somewhere on the internet and uh, then this is combined with an asynchronous communication mechanism with which also uh, increases latency so i would be pretty afraid that you end up with a system with rather high latency uh, that you can really afford to have um, a good experience for the user. So um, what do you think? Is that going to be an issue or what do you think about it? I think it's going to be an interesting challenge. And we, we, we try to explore this space a little bit with the prototype. And what we found out is that 
um, even doing kind of content assist and, and errors and warnings for real-time editing, I'm doing this with 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 a service and with a, with a messaging system that, that that's running on some kind of cloud-provided infrastructure somewhere in some Amazon data center, connected with a crappy Wi-Fi at a conference, for example, to the system. Even in that case, it worked very nicely, and it provided a good user experience. Um, of course, there there could be network latency issues in between. Like if the network is crappy. And, and slow, uh, you might not get the, the best experience out of that. that that's, that's correct. An interesting side effect is that you could, um, there could be multiple instances of those services running in the cloud. And the interesting thing is if, if those instances of the service are running in different data centers, they can all work at the same time because they can all work in parallel, right? Which is to completely different from desktop by the ease where you have to build in um, these kind of parallel execution of stuff, right? That's They can all execute at the same time in, inside the cloud. And the first guy who sends back the errors mornings, that guy wins, right? So um, as a side effect of the, of the architecture, without really building that as a feature into the system, as a side effect, um, if you are sitting in, in the U.S., and um, there is a, the Java service is running inside the U.S. Amazon data center east, and one is running inside west, and one is running inside the Asia data center, uh, and they are all doing the same stuff at the same time, you would see the errors as soon as the first guy sends you that information back. So you would, you would always kind of get the best experience independent of where you are. It still depends on, on, on the network, right? Um, and the other the other answer to that question is that I think the um, there are two use cases for this or two let's say two environments for this. One is uh, what you you already kind of said is there is this hosted service running on the internet somewhere, and you use that and you can use that and to use that you need to have good internet connection with maybe low low latency. That's but I think that's just one use case. That's maybe suitable for certain settings, but not for every setting, and maybe not for big companies. For big companies, I could also imagine and think that's very reasonable to do it differently um, and follow these kind of the GitHub enterprise model where you host the whole thing inside your own data center, inside your own company, inside your own network. right? And in that case, network latency is usually not, not such an issue because you have a fast, fast connection to your own data center, to your own network anyway, uh, and you keep everything inside your company. So it's not going outside of your company. It's not going to some, someone else. Uh, you, you can host everything on your own. Um, it's also giving you a little bit of answer to these kind of security questions. So are you afraid of someone else accessing your code? Um, if you're hosting everything inside your own data center, you can be sure that it's it's only accessed by your employees and not by someone else. Um, and that would also help to to provide a good experience. But but even in the case where we tried that from these crappy conference Wi-Fi and even on on a cell phone connection, this four G cell phone connection, which usually has some kind of a higher latency than than usual, even in that case, it worked and it worked nicely. So that, that convinced me and, and other people who saw that demo saying, ah, this, this could be interesting. Um, and the prototype that we used for that wasn't even optimized in any way. It wasn't optimized for small small messages sent around or 
less data sent around or whatever was a the prototype that you can you can download from github it's quite interesting because we just um, had a discussion i think even today and um i think it, we what we basically agreed on was that uh, for microservices it's actually probably a good idea to have the microservice provide the, the graphical user interface so that you can work around those latency issues because then if you have like like um, a vertical part of your system including the graphical user interface as one service then you don't have a lot of pieces talking to each other it's one request HTTP request for that matter would just be done by one microservice and what you're saying is that um, even though the application has sort of a distributed layer layer architecture it still works yeah and I, I think I think what's um, what's an interesting detail about the flux architecture with regards to these kind of exchanging data and so on is that there are different levels right and and this there is not there's the editor, and the editor is working on code, and when, whenever you change something, it sends over the code to a service. The service is analyzing the file and sending you back the information. Um, that's not the case, right? Instead, it's synced all the time, uh, independent of what you're trying to do next, so that each service has all the time the, the latest state of your resources synced with this mechanism. Uh, in that case, if you, for example, press content assist, the editor doesn't need to send over the information about the file content or the project or whatever over to the service. The only thing it needs to send over, over the wire is give me content assist for this file, so the, the path or the ID of this file, at this position. That's it. Right? It doesn't need to, to submit the whole content of the file or anything, anything in addition to that. Um, and I think that's an that's an interesting interesting detail, because it allows each service to operate locally on the data because it it remains kind of it, it, or it keeps a copy of the data synced all the time and can operate locally on that data. Therefore, these kind of exchanging data all the time and sending a huge bunch of data forth and back, which might be an issue with the, with the with the traditional e-commerce or enterprise service. That's that's uh, that's solved in different different way because you basically know about the syncing mechanism under the hood. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sounds interesting. It's uh, quite quite an interesting application of the microservices pattern, I would say. So, um, is this limited to uh, the Eclipse IDE? Are you seeing any interest from other IDE projects out there, or what's what's your comment on that? I haven't heard anything from 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 the NetBeans or IntelliJ or whatever other IDE saying, "Oh, we would like to participate yet." But the whole the whole Flux architecture and the whole system is not tied to Eclipse at all, to be honest. Uh, and the prototype, not even the prototype, is t very much tied to Eclipse, because the only bit that we inject into the Eclipse IDE for Flux is a tiny little plugin for Eclipse that allows the Eclipse workspace to participate in the syncing mechanism. So syncing changes while you're typing or when you're saving file. You can, I'm, I'm sure I haven't done it yet, but I'm sure you can very easily build exactly the same plugin for IntelliJ IDEA, for NetBeans, or even for your file system, that if you prefer to work with Emacs, uh, you, you can even have some kind of daemon 
uh, watching on your file system. Maybe the while typing is more difficult in that case, uh, but uh, for these syncing file changes that, that can easily be implemented just on the file system without without uh, knowing anything about the Eclipse IDE. So Flux is definitely not about connecting the Eclipse IDE only to this cloudy world. It opens up these mechanisms for all the different IDEs. So if someone from, from NetBeans would like to join the party, very welcome. Okay, um, great. Is there anything that um, I forgot to ask you? Any other comments you want to make? Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I think we, we, we covered most of the interesting questions. Uh, maybe I forgot I forget something as well. But uh, I would like to repeat the, these uh, my, my my sentence about we are very open. Uh, if you would like to, to join the project, if you would like to contribute, if, uh, if you would like to connect different IDEs or provide a service or whatever, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We, we it's not tied to Eclipse at all, so and we are we are, we are very open. So uh, please contact us, and, and we would be happy to collaborate. Yeah, to me it also sounds like uh, if you actually reach the goal, and um, when you realize that vision, um, there is quite. I mean, it will probably give rise to a marketplace where you could actually, uh, well, sell subscriptions to specific services. So I think it really sounds quite interesting. Yeah, it could be. I haven't thought about that. That uh, Let's say I haven't thought about a commercial aspect of that yet. <laughs> but uh, I think there's certainly a lot of possibilities open up there. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot for uh, talking to us. And uh, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to SE Radio, an educational program brought to you by IEEE Software Magazine. For more information about the podcast, including other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. To support us, you can advertise SE Radio by clicking the Dig, Reddit, Delicious, or Slashdot buttons on the site, or by talking about us on Facebook, Twitter, or your own blog. If you have feedback specific to an episode, please use the commenting feature on the site so that other listeners can respond to your comments as well. This and all other episodes of SE Radio is licensed under the Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. Thanks again for your support.